0: impact, income, and influence. Do you want the most powerful actionable takeaways from today's episode? Go to actionbullets.com to grab the quick, easy to read takeaways that will help you change your life and grow your business. Or you can click the action bullets link in the description below. Let's jump into today's episode. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Grow Your Impact Income and Influence. And I have got an amazing show in store for you today. Any of you longtime listeners know that I love to read. It is one of the things that I have always pointed to as helping me look at other people's points of view and grow my business. Today, I have somebody who is going to share the most amazing story. Um, Brandon Hakeem walked in to his college dean's office and said, Hey, I think what we're learning here is outdated, we need to change it. And their answer was, of course, well, we're kind of working on that. So he went to work, he's read over a 1000 books. If you guys are watching this on video, you can see all the books behind him. But he has also helped over 360 360 comma 000, 000 people grow their business, better their lives, and learn more through reading. Brandon, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. I am so excited about this episode because I think, it, sadly, reading is becoming a lost skill. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like the we have access to thousands of years of knowledge. Anyone who has ever done anything, we can go read about it. You're going to shed some light on that, but tell us where this started because- I mean, just to be real honest, it takes some balls to walk into uh, your dean's office and tell them like the education system that I'm paying for
1: sucks. (laughs) How did that conversation go? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because now that we talk about it, it sounds like I was going in there to blame them. Um, But in reality, I was probably 19, maximum 20 years old at the time. And I was aware enough that, okay, maybe there's something that I'm not seeing here. So I was actually hoping that she would tell me, no, you should change you know, some things around, or you should maybe take some different classes, or there are these resources that you don't know about, or this is the reason that it's set up the way it is. Um, so That's why I went in there in the first place, and I was actually surprised that I didn't get any of that stuff, and it just turned into a conversation about first defending the curriculum and saying we're having a new curriculum, and then I said, I know the new curriculum, I've seen it, I've taken a look at it, but it's the same curriculum with new names for the old classes. And then I offered some suggestions and thoughts and things i have been, you know, like making things more project-based or, you know, different things we could learn or examples of things I learned from books that we're not learning in classes. And um, then that's when she said, you know, well, it's a function of the education system, not necessarily the school. And she said that she feels frustrated with her kids' education as well, who are in high school and middle school. And that was the moment where I walked out of her office and I felt really angry, but I also felt a sense of mission that I'm going to figure this out.
0: So, I mean, that's a great I like the way that you framed it because you didn't go in there as a victim. And I I didn't mean to paint that at all, but that's, you went in there like truly trying to get the most that you could out of your education and you saw ways to fix things. I mean, if we look at where colleges began that like 500, 800, a thousand years ago, it was revolutionaries who wanted to learn more and better their lives. Sadly- maybe not sadly, maybe it's just, just what happens over the course of time, it's become so institutionalized exactly. that there's so much red tape and the cogs have gotten sticky, right? Absolutely. Have you read a book? I bet you've read this book. Uh, it's called weapons of mass instruction. I haven't actually now. Okay. So it's a book written by five time teacher of the year for New York state. He wrote, it's a manifesto on everything that needs to change in the education system for junior high and high school and why we are turning out. It basically states the theory that we are turning out people from the industrial age that were supposed to be factory workers and farmers versus thinkers, which is what we need now. We need the creative problem solving and thinkers because that's that's what the world has evolved to. Um, I will leave that for another session because I wanna dive into what happened when you lost. you. You sent You felt this sense of purpose what do you do when you're 20
1: years old? Did you drop out of school? I didn't drop out of school, no. So tell me what you did. What was your yeah. path? How'd that go? I did a couple of things. First of all, I had the realization that, because my grades still felt important. There's the pressure from parents, from society, from friends to still get good grades. But at the same time, I felt like the most valuable thing I can do at that time is set a foundation in place and learn the things that I wasn't learning in class. So for me, it was about freeing up as much time as possible, spending as little time as possible in my classes while still getting straight A's. And a lot of my focus at the time was coming up with the system for me to do that and for me to be able to share with other people how to do the same. And at the time, I was reading a lot of books about whether it was psychology or time management, or uh, I was just looking for anything that I could find on how to do better in school in less time and quote-unquote beat the system and um, it was a fun game and that was actually my first online course was called beat college how to get good grades in less time or something along those lines Um, but for me it was that focus and then at the same time using that time to read books to start learning the things that I never learned in school and I didn't take any reading classes or anything like that so it was just also a time of experimentation of, okay, how can I read better? How can I read faster? How can I actually remember what I learned? How can I put it into action and, and so forth?
0: Awesome. We're going to come back to some of those tips a little bit later in the show. I want to stick with the story though. So you, you built this course, which is awesome. I think every college kid would probably love that. I, it's really funny. One of my friends has kids in college right now and they are using AI programs to do their homework. Wow. Um, which I think is hilarious, but we'll, we'll put that to the side. So yeah. how to, how to beat college. You, just, did you sell some of that course?
1: Yeah, it was funny because I put it on at the time it was an ebook, right? It was before there online courses when I, when I put it together. And then I have a call every week with a friend who I met in college and we still have that call every single week. It's like a little mastermind brainstorming call we have every week and on one of the calls, he said, why don't you just turn it into an online course and uh, see what happens? And I said, okay, does it have to be videos or can I just put the book on? And he's like, no, no it has to be videos. So I said, okay, by our call next Thursday, so seven days from now, uh, I'm going to have the course not only done, but it's going to be live. And I spent a full week just recording the um, the book into audio and then using my Apple earphones or headphones. Um, so it wasn't like professional recorded or whatever, but that's one of the things that I've found. And I really believe in is just get it done. You know, so many people have asked me for advice on online courses and stuff, and they spend all this time like, what audio should I use? What video do I, and I'm like, I just use my Apple headphones at first. And then for the video, I just used keynote and made like a PowerPoint and just click through the slides to match up with the audio. But, uh, yeah, it was a very busy week. I lost my voice. I got sick for two weeks. I barely ate that week. But seven days later, I had the course live. And for the first thirty days, I put free coupons of the course, and this was you know six years ago, for people to sign up for it. And um, then I didn't really think about it much more than that. But what was crazy is I the course went live in December, and I remember one day in January, I at the time I'd get an email every time someone would enroll one in January. I was like, wait, I got an email today and the free coupon expired. So I was like, does that mean somebody bought the course? And I go check and sure enough, I had like, I don't know, five or six people that enrolled. And it's so, I mean, it it seems so insignificant, the number, but those original wins and feelings are more exciting than anything else. That I,
0: you're preaching to the choir. Like one of the things that I tell my clients and like people that I'm working with the minute, I mean, I, now I work with people mostly who have businesses they've done a couple hundred thousand, but I'm like the minute somebody pays you for something, it changes everything. So I meet a lot of people speaking from stage and, you know, they'll come up to me and they'll be like, I'm dreaming of launching my business or I'm working on launching my business. I said, just go get somebody to pay you anything. 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, whatever it is, the minute they pay you money, it changes because it changes your mindset around what you're doing because it's now a business and you have to show up and deliver. Um, I mean, yours was a course that was already done. Was it on Udemy or it was on Udemy was, was the first course. Yeah. Udemy used to be the jam back in the day. It I was, remember it was. <laughs> I remember those days. Um, that's, I'm so what happens from there? Like you were, I mean, I will, I'll tell you, like when I had my first sale, um, somebody bought something like I went down and I'm, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. And I, I poured a shot and I lived with roommates at the time. And I was like, anyone want to do a shot? Like I just literally, I sold something for $7 and I was like, my life has changed. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is what's happening. Who's in. And like, people are like, what, um, that was my story. What
1: happened with you? Like, what did you do? well, Let me give a quick preface to that in, I remember I was studying abroad uh, when I was 21. And I was, you know, a college student, I was in Barcelona. We went to travel to Barcelona and me and my friends just like drank a lot and was eating a lot of, like, I don't even drink any, like I won't even touch alcohol today, but you know, drinking and eating McDonald's and you know, (laughs) walk and donaires and you know, it it was all of that. And I came back and I was sick for two weeks. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because first of all, I wasn't going to class, but second of all, I didn't want to just sit there in bed and watching random shows or you know yeah. whatever. So I had my roommate, he got this course for me. Uh, it was like a business training. It was maybe like 23 hours long and I just went through it. And one of the things he said in the first video uh, was, that you need to know the difference between creation and discovery. He said, you're going to start creating something, but then your real success most of the time will come with something you discover along the way after you've started creating. So I share that because for me, I was so excited. And I thought that what I'm going to be doing is teaching college students how to get good grades in less time. Mm -hmm. There wasn't even a thought in my mind of anything else that I could do with this beyond that. That was it. And, but then it was one discovery after another one accident after another. And what happened was I came home from a job interview actually on Friday at 2 PM. And I was like, what am I going to do now? I have a few hours before, you know, whatever I'm going to do that night. And I just had this idea. It was just a random flash in my mind of, hey, I already made that course on how to get good grades in less time. And I've also have these notes of how to read books faster. And I have a goal for that year to read 300 books. So how about if I just made an outline just for fun to see what a course would look like that would be called how to read 300 books this year. And I just made the outline and Compared to my first course, there was no script. I just made an outline. I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. I just need to remember what to say. So Mm -hmm. very rough outline. I recorded it. The course was done in within three days. So whereas the beat college one was many months writing the book and then was turned into a course in seven days. This one from beginning to end was a three-day thing. And that course is what everything else took off from because you know tens of thousands of people signed up for that course. And it was an accidental thing. And then everything that followed was also accidental in that people started asking me, can you share the books that you're reading or the things you're learning from all these books you're reading? And that's what turned into the other courses that I started to make. And then that's what turned into the membership that I now have, which is a new video delivered every Monday to Friday. So it was really just one accidental discovery after another
0: that's awesome and i i agree i agree wholeheartedly like you start creating something and usually there is a discovery i've never heard that before but it is so true because it's what happens i would love to ask you because when i t- when i teach clients and in my own life how do you fight like shiny object syndrome, right? Because you're creating something and something new comes up and you're like, should I chase this rabbit or should I finish what I'm doing? Obviously with yours, you had an outline and you did it very fast. I think that might be the answer is you do like see it through to completion, just get it done, get some version done, minimal viable product, get in front of somebody, see if they want it. You can always come back and make it better. Is that how you would solve that problem or how do you fight shiny object syndrome?
1: Yeah. I think there are two problems. One problem is how do you get things done? And the second one is how do you keep your list of things that you wanna get done manageable? And the solution to both is simple. There's a simple phrase that my friend first introduced me to that I remind myself of and try to live by, simple gets done. And there's a book I read recently, Effortless, um, that was a good reminder of this as well. But we, we, any time we do something, we try to get it perfect. And then we're like, oh, it would be nice if I did this as part of it or that. Like for an example, I remember in school when we do a school project, I do group projects, for example. And I just wanted to get it done. And everyone else in the group, oh, let's spend some time and make the background uh, nice and let's get the font right. And I'm like, no. Or I'd be like, you know what, in 10 minutes, Whatever is done, I'm done with this. I'm moving on. And I think it's the same thing, right? Simple gets done. We gotta, we gotta be aware of all of the steps we're adding to complicate things and also be aware of all of the things we're adding on our to-do list that are nice to do, but aren't really moving the needle forward. And proof of that is just look at how busy you've been over the last month and then compare that to what has actually made a measurable change in your life. And you'll see that there's a very disproportionate balance that's going on there. So, okay, you
0: are giving great advice and I agree with it, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to ask you to clarify a little bit. Yeah. So first off, how do you know, when you look at your to-do list, how do you know what is the thing that stays on it and the thing that comes off of it or the thing that goes on a, if I have time later, I will get to that.
1: Yeah. I remember in one of my courses, I used the analogy of, a well, right? You're like, you're seven years old and you have a well and the well just gives you anything that you want. You want a bike, a bike pops up. You want whatever toys, just one thing after another, just never ending 24 hours a day, giving you things you want. And at first, it seems nice. It seems productive. It seems like it's a great thing. And then you realize it's actually getting in the way of you enjoying anything that you do have. And your mind is that well, It has one idea after another that all seem like fantastic ideas and it's feeding them to you in a never ending stream. It's a river that just doesn't stop. And we have to be aware of that. The way that I advocate or one way I advocate to be aware of what are the few things, the critical few that make a difference is asking the question of what would happen if I didn't do this? You know, and you're like, Oh, what would happen if I didn't send this email? Ah, nothing. What would happen if I didn't do this project? I would potentially lose the opportunity to reach an extra thousand or 10,000 people. And like, okay, that's something I should probably do then.
0: Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode. Are you enjoying the story so far? Would you like to know how to use storytelling and story selling in your business? check the show notes down below or go to storyselling.how to grab my free mini course on storytelling and start implementing this in your business right now. All right, let's jump back to the episode. That's a good, I like that. That is a really, really good question. I'm a fan of, I mean, you, I'm sure you read the four hour work week, right? Um, when I read that way back when the question that I pulled was, what would this look like if it was easy? But then mm. I always, I always balance that question with what will I actually do? Like, what's the outcome that I want? What would it look like if it was easy? And what will I actually be able to do? But I like adding, I actually wrote that down because what would happen if I didn't do this? Because that's a very good way to balance. Um, How do you, so to play devil's advocate a little bit, what do you do when somebody looks at their sheet and they say, this is something I hear a lot and I, I would love your answer. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So if I do something and it's not done good enough, well enough, I don't know if that's a word, how, how do you balance that? Like, what would you tell somebody that would come to you and say, I don't want to put out crap. I don't want to like, obviously there's minimal viable with your first course used Apple headphones. It was enough to get it done. And nobody really cared, right? It's not the age of professional video. Um, I mean, Casey Neistat proved that you don't have to have great video. You just have to tell a good story. So where how, how do you balance that? And how would you tell somebody to balance that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Before, before we get into that, I just want to share one thought that came to my mind about the last thing. It's the Peter Drucker quote. He said, there's nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency, something that should not be done at all. And I think that's the core problem. We're always asking, how can I do this faster? How can I do this better? But a better question is, what should I even be doing? And what can I just not do that my brain is telling me I, quote unquote, have to do? But in terms of what quality to do things at, what level to do things at, I think that I remember in college, for example, and I I had this in that course as well, the idea of being able to differentiate what's pass fail and what isn't and realizing that most things are pass fail. A great example, I remember, I learned a lot from my roommate about how to do well in school. I was one of those people that always felt like I have to try really hard and so forth. And I remember, I guess this was sophomore year, I remember being in in our room uh, and we're both sitting at our desks, and we're taking this organizational behavior class. And we had this to read this like ten-page case study, and then write a one-page uh, like assignment on it, and turn it in online before the next class. And my roommate's like, "All right, Brandon, I'm setting a ten-minute timer. Whatever is on this paper is getting turned in in ten minutes." And I was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Like, we have to read this ten-page thing, and then write one page on it, like." He's like, listen, man, this is just for pass. This is just for credit. Like it's just participation credit. Look at the syllabus. You're not being graded on this. Why would I spend more than 10 minutes on it? And what I talked about in the course is just the difference between things that are pass fail that won't make a difference. I don't believe in knocking those out of the park because there's an opportunity cost to that. And that's time and energy and focus that could be spent on the things that really do make a difference. So I, I personally don't try to do everything at the highest level. Um, there are some things that I don't think are worth doing at the highest level. And then there are things that I think are very important. I'm like, I want to do even beyond what I think the highest level is.
0: How do you determine which fits in which bucket? Is it just what would this look like if I didn't do it? Or is it a personal driver? Or is it money related? Or is it client related? What's your driver behind that? And I think follow-up question to that. Do you think it varies from person to person?
1: I think it absolutely varies from person to person. I think the criteria or filter is what are your goals? And is this moving me measurably towards one of those goals? Or is it just another idea that's popping out of the well? Awesome. The, i
0: we're going really good, like deep in this. This is a good, deep question. So I do think it it relates to goals. And one of the biggest cognitive dissonance I see in people, they say they have goal X. But over here... The thing that stops them is they relate what they are doing to how people are going to think about them. What are people going to think about me if I do X? Right. So to your point, some people think they need a great looking website in order to make a lot of sales. I don't think that's true. I think you need a minimal viable product, which you can do very easily on a lot of different sites, but people get so hung up on, is it good? Is it perfect that they never get it done? I would love your general thoughts about that. Cause I, I always tell people like, what do you, my question, when we get to the heart of it is what do you, how are you perceiving that other people are going to think about what you're doing right now? And usually people are so scared of judgment that it drives them to be perfectionistic.
1: So the question is for a website, for example, what level to do it at? The question is, do you think that people are driven by, in
0: your experience, do you think that people are driven by. What other people think of them versus what the actual outcome that they're getting is. It's it is a very like theoretical, mm. high-level philosophy-based question, right? I just see it so many times. People say I want to make a lot of money, but in the back of their head, they're like, if I make half a million dollars this year, people are going to judge me for that. Mm. If I I want to be, I want to be a straight A student and I want to go out and party tonight. So what do I do with this project that's in front of me, right? Um, I want to be a straight A student and I want to actually get the learning, but I don't want to spend more than 10 minutes on it, right? Mm-hmm. In that case, your roommate was more concerned about what his friends would think if he didn't go out partying or what he would think if he didn't go out partying versus what the teacher would think. Because honestly, how how good is that paper? It is pass fail, right? But who's, whose goal is he paying attention to? His goal or their goal? Um, it's kind of a big mess of a question. I don't know. I understand it though. I understand it
1: is what is what's factoring into the decision, the goal and what's in your best interest, or is it what other people think and collecting this currency of other people's approval?
0: Right. That is exactly it. Which is more important. You reaching your goal or other people's approval. And sadly, well, I don't know if it's sadly, I think, I think it holds people back because honestly, at the end of the day, most people are not caring whether you do or don't that teacher probably didn't even read the one pager, right? She skimmed it to make sure that it was at least on topic and put it in the done box. Right. But exactly. What do you in your, cause you've helped a lot of people. You've had a lot of conversations with people. Have you seen the same thing that I have seen where people are looking for approval from other people and that stops them from reaching their goal?
1: Absolutely. Including myself. I remember a couple of years ago, maybe a few years ago, I was invited to a wedding that I felt very uncomfortable being at because of the people that would be there. And they're like people from my childhood that I never felt like I fit in with. And and a year before that, I was invited to a very similar wedding and it was felt like just, there was so much pain that I felt being there to the point that I kept leaving the room and just going and sitting outside until I could no longer justify being outside and going inside and talking to whatever and got so a year later I went to uh I have a he's a family friend he's something like 60 years old and he's always I always just see him having the best time so I I asked him like how do you do what you do he's like what do you mean I just do it I'm like no, no no I want to I want to know like what do you think? What are you thinking when you're talking to people? What are you like? What's going on inside? What are you seeing? What are the images you're seeing? What are you telling yourself? And one of the things that really came out of it is he told me, I'm like, what I asked him, like, what happens when you, because he was a very goofy guy. I'm like, what happens when you go talk to someone and they just turn their back on you or they don't care or they laugh at you? Or he's like, and these were his words. He said, I say, F him, let him live his own life or let her live her own life. It's not my problem. And it was an interesting thought or another thought that he shared was, I'm like, why do you, I'm like, why do you share? Like, why are you so out there at these parties? And he's like, because if I feel joy inside, I feel a responsibility to share it with other people. And I was like, wow, that's very different than what I think when I'm at these events, which is I want people to like me. And. It was very interesting because it kind of like opened my mind to this idea of what life would be like when you're no longer striving for other people's approval. And I remember at that same wedding, I went and said hi to the groom and I was like, Hey man, congratulations. He didn't even look at me. He just looked straight as like, Oh, thanks man. And just like kept walking in the past. I would have been like, Oh, he doesn't like me what's going on. And literally I just told him like, I don't care. And there's just a certain liberation that comes with that. And it's a never ending process. And I think we all strive for approval. It's kind of like we're wearing a mask, right? And we want people to like this mask that we're wearing or we're actors on stage and we're wanting to get paid and not with money, but with this false currency of approval. And one question that I think I have it written down, I read it every morning is, am I doing this because it's an authentic expression of who I am or am I doing it because I want people to like me? And it's a powerful question to just be aware of, you know, did I send that text because it's an authentic expression or did I send it because I want approval? Did I put the smiley face in that text because it's an authentic expression? Or, you know, that sounds like a silly example, the smiley face, but you will realize when you ask yourself this, how many things down to the emoji you put in a text come from the desire for approval rather than being a natural expression of your own life. And I think it's so interesting it's an interesting thought experiment of what would life look like when it becomes a natural expression of you?
0: That's, I mean, that is super powerful. I think the title of this episode is going to be the three questions you have to ask yourself. Cause although <laughs> well, it's
1: two so far, we got to find a third,
0: right? No, we got three. Oh, we got three. We got three. What would happen if I didn't do this? Is this pass fail? And what does it look like if I fail? and? is this is what I'm doing because I want approval or because it is a true expression of who I am. I love that. I mean, this has, we're going to come, we're going to, we're going to wrap up the high level philosophy part of this <laughs> and we're going to move on to courses, books, and learning because that's, I mean, this has been very, very educational and fun. Um, but I do want to bring it full circle to your area of expertise. Um So let's start with how do you help people read 300 books in a year? Besides sit down, set a timer for an hour and read. What do you actually do to help people read faster Yeah, Yeah,
1: or read better? It's a great question. I'll start again with a reference to, and it's interesting because the reason I keep referencing it is I made the beat college course in 2014 and I actually hadn't watched it since maybe 2015. And just last night out of curiosity, I, I, uh, started going through it just like, I'm like, I wonder what I said six years ago. And it was interesting because one of the things I talk about is first starting with the mindset and then talking about the actual tactics. And when it came to getting good grades, one of the things I talked about was what is your standard? And what I mean by that is I remember in college, if I got anything less than an A, whether it was an A minus or a B plus or a B, I was like, wow, just horrible. It's not acceptable. Whereas everyone else, they'd get a B or a B minus. Like, cool, I pass. That's fine. And I think when you change how you look at things like that, it changes the results you get. It opens up a new world. And for me, when it came to reading, it was the same thing. What really shifted it for me, what really allowed me to discover all of the techniques and tactics that let me read so many books didn't come from a speed reading technique. It came from that mindset of a different standard of what would it look like if I could read a book a day and have that be relatively easy? So I think step number one is changing the standard, changing what's acceptable. You know, people think that, oh, I read 12 books a year, that's crazy. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, if you read 52 books a year, like one a week, that's pretty easy. You know, I'll read books from self-help authors and they're like, they talk about how much they read a book a week. And in my view, I'm like, that's good. It's not bad. I mean, I, you know, but it's not like anything to stand on top of the world and brag about and think you're like a special human being. Um, so I think standard is number one, but then specifically tactics. Number one is having a reading ritual. You know, Mark Twain said, the person who can't read is no better than the person who doesn't, or sorry, the person who doesn't read is no better than the person who can't. And it's so important. You know, we, we always think, okay, I'll read when I have the time. I need an hour, an hour and a half, three hours at a time to be able to read. But it's way better to spend 10 minutes a day and don't miss a day or just have times where you're just adding drops in the bucket. Or if you want to listen to audiobooks, listen to it during your commute time, while you're making your smoothie in the morning, while you're walking to work, whatever it is. So having that reading ritual is a very important foundation because drops in a bucket eventually result in an overflowing bucket.
0: Got it. So audiobooks have a reading ritual, something that you do, you sit down, you read, you start. And it's not about speed reading. I want to be really clear on this because I've heard a lot of people say like, take a speed reading class where you can sit down and read a book in an hour or read a book in two hours. How do you, because you're not focused on speed reading. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: I mean, I could be. Uh, but it's not my main focus. I don't believe in picking up any book and trying to read it as fast as possible because some books, I don't believe it's worth reading every word in, or even if it is, that's not in line with my goals for the book. So why would I focus on reading it as quickly as possible versus other books? I want to read everything in. I'm like, okay, this one I do want to read as quickly as possible and go through beginning. So I I think I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all strategy, whereas you know, that's what speed reading talks about, which is, okay, let your, your words per minute are 200 words per minute, 250, 300, whatever, let's get it to 500 or 600.
0: Yeah. So I wanna briefly, I wanna keep this one on track, but I wanna step off for just a second. And I wanna talk about raising your standard. Cause I think that is, there's a Tony Robbins video where it's literally about raising your standards. He pulled it down, Evan Carmichael still has it up. Um, if you wanna go find that, if you're listening to this but the, he talks about like your needs and your wants don't necessarily get met, but your standards do. Like when you mm-hmm. raise your standard, it is something that you do day in, day out. This is who I am. This is what I do. It's how I show up. This is it. How do you change somebody's standards or what advice if somebody's listening to this and they're like, I would love to read a book a week. Like you're saying it's easy. I think that's really hard. I have a hard time with that. What would you say is a hack or a tip or something you would tell somebody to change their standard? How do you do
1: that? I, I think there's more than one way to do it. I think one way to do it is to change what you believe is possible. For me, what allowed that tipping point to happen when it came to reading mm-hmm. is I believed it was possible to read a book a day. And for you, if it's not a book a day, maybe a book every other day or a book a week or whatever, it's it's not about the number. You know, people are like, oh, I need to read... X number of books, I'm like, who cares how many you read? All that matters is what you take and apply in your life. But it's believing that it's possible is, is the thing, right? If you don't even believe that it's possible to do that, then how are you ever going to have that be your personal standard to do it? Awesome, I,
0: I agree with you. I mean, when I first started wanted, wanted to start my own business, I started looking at people who had done it that were just, that started where I was and they were just a couple steps ahead. I didn't look, sure, I watched like at the time, Grant Cardone wasn't what he is today, He this was 2014, similar to when you launched the course, right? He had a few YouTube videos up. I could go watch those and I was like, he's, I can do that. I can do what that guy's doing and do what this guy's doing. Um, I find people and surround myself with the people and I look at, tell myself stories about the people who are doing it because then you see them do it like, well, if he can do it, I can do it or I can at least get close. Um, What I always tell people is like, if you look at Robert Bannister, the guy who broke the four minute mile, you might not be able to break the four minute mile, but if you go out and you run, if he can do a four minute mile and like top end can, you can get close. You can probably run a five minute mile. You probably run a five and a half minute mile. And that's a lot better than what you're doing right now. So you know that it's possible. You have a goal, start moving towards it. So back to books, you actually brought up, like maybe I don't read every word in the book. I was gonna ask you, do you finish every book that you start? Do you think that it's important? Do you read multiple books at a time? Do you try to focus
1: on one? What's that look like? Yeah, so many good questions there.
0: I just wanted to take a short break from this episode and let you know about one of the biggest secrets I have found when it comes to converting webinars. If you have a webinar and it's not converting as well as you want, or if you're thinking about building a webinar and you want to grab this tip, it has helped numerous people one of my clients we actually doubled their conversion rate just by implementing this one simple step and you can grab it at deathtobadwebinars.com or by clicking in the show notes below all right let's jump back to the episode
1: first of all uh, let's just quickly talk about speed reading i think it's there are, it's more than we can talk about in a few minutes but a quick trick that anybody can use to instantly become a faster reader maybe 50% faster is just imagine the difference between what is a movie? A movie is a series of pictures that are being played one after another with such, you know, in, in succession with such short intervals in between that they appear that they're, you know, it, it's, a, it's a moving thing. And when it comes to reading, we usually, there are fixations, right? Your eye fixates on a chunk of a certain number of words before moving on to the next and so forth. And that the time between fixations could be half a second, for example. But Mm -hmm. what if you could make it a fourth of a second or an eighth of a second by turning it and having it become more like a movie? And one way you can do that is to use a pen and lead your eyes along as you read because it keeps your eyes moving. It helps fight regression, which is another reason that we read slowly because we then backtrack and take chunks of words in that we've already read so by just taking a pen and leading your eyes along underneath every line, you'll instantly become a faster reader. As far as. I
0: love that. Like I, I do that. Um, I took a speed reading course and to be a hundred percent honest, that's the only thing that I use from it. Yeah. Because the rest of the stuff was too, I I found that I could get my reading words up, but I didn't have retention. But right. just by leading with a pen,
1: you will read faster. Absolutely. Absolutely, I can't even. It's weird, you know. Like if you give me a book, and you don't give me a pen to go along with it, I'm kind of like, what do I do? (laughs) Like not only because I use it to read faster, but also because I'm writing all over the books. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. It's it's that important. In terms of in terms of your question, as far as do you finish every book? Do you you know and so forth. I remember you mentioned the far work week and I remember Tim Ferriss said in the book that if a movie is as bad as Matrix Revolution or Revolutions or whatever, I haven't seen it, but uh, walk out. And I think the same thing applies to a book. If you've gotten everything you want out of it, if it's becoming super redundant or whatever, stop reading it. You know, we think that in school, you get an assignment and you think you have to finish the assignment. And then we choose the books we want to read later in life. And then as soon as we've chosen it, it becomes another assignment for us. And we think there's some magical reward we get for getting the page, whatever the last page is. And in reality, the the only point is to get everything you want out of it and then to move on. Um, So yeah, you might want to finish the book. You might not. You might want to read every word. You might want to skip certain paragraphs or sections or excessive case studies and stories. Like we've all seen the books, for example, that, they're just like filled with stories to prove the point that you've already learned, or there's case studies of stories of people that are using it, but they're not even useful in how to use it for you. They're just examples that are of people that have used it just so you can believe that it works. You know, it's like, okay, is that the same value to you as reading the main point? No. So it's really being selective and asking yourself, I guess, similar question, what would happen if I didn't read this? What would I miss out on?
0: that's a good, that is a good way to look at it. And I like the analogy to assignments. Um, cause I do think a lot of people do that. There's something that one of my coaches told me a couple of years ago that's similar in the same vein. He's like, whatever you commit to, you need to do, but he was like, you need to be very careful about what you commit to. Mm. You don't have to, he didn't use the book. We were using, um, we were talking about something else. We were talking about completing a course. He was like, don't commit to doing the whole course, commit to the first quarter of it or commit to the first chapter or commit to the first whatever to see if it's worthwhile. Because then you're you're keeping your commitments. He was like, what happens with a lot of people is they overcommit to things and then they beat themselves up for not reaching it and they no longer trust themselves. So the way that Mm. what, what was going through my mind when you said that was, I don't have to say, I'm going to read this entire book. I'm going to say, I'm going to read a couple pages and I'm going to see if it's worthwhile. And if it is, then maybe I'll commit to the chapter or the next chapter um, and I don't have to finish it. That way you're like being congruent with yourself and you're you're optimizing for what is actually useful
1: in it. I like that a lot. Yeah, and not only do I not have to finish it, I don't have to read every word or every section. I can skip paragraphs. Like there's no rule, do whatever you want.
0: That's awesome. Um, The other question that I wrote down around books is how do you find good books to read? Because it's, Amazon has a million books on it. Probably like a couple gazillion, right? Like they have so many books. Um, What do you look for when you're looking for a good book to read?
1: It's a good question. And, and it's, I actually wonder that myself cause it happens so organically. And I wonder, I'm like, how do I find the books? And first of all, it's people mentioning books. When someone mentions a book or I hear it in a video or a podcast or, or in a book I'm reading, they'll mention another book, I always look that other book up or that other author up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one powerful and important practice to use to discover books that are worth reading. Amazon is also very useful with the suggested books that are underneath any book. You know, I love just, okay, I read that book. What are the other ones that are suggested? But then when you find a specific book, obviously the reviews are very important. You know, I'd, I'd much rather read a book that has a thousand, 2000, 3000 reviews, even less 500 reviews versus one that has 17 reviews and is, you know, whatever. Not and the 17 one might be just as good but considering that there is an infinite number of books that I can read I rather use that time with something that's been vetted and proven and made an impact on people that is similar to the impact that I'd like on myself Got it that's good
0: I like that a lot um I I struggle sometimes cuz I I buy a lot of books like I live in Airbnbs any listeners to the podcast will know that um, like these books behind me are the books that I travel with, but I've ended up, I mean, I've got a whole nother bookshelf over here that you can't see that has another probably 50 books that I've bought in the last two months. Cause I'll, I'll go through Amazon, I'm like, oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. And I'm some I don't buy Kindles as much as I used to. I used to buy them and I'd read if I read one chapter and I liked it, I would, I want to write on it as well. So I would buy the PDF or the uh the print version so I could write on it. Um So that's, it's interesting, right? But I I love to learn. So I think that that, that's good. I just wondered if you had like a framework that you went through or a list that you kept, or do you force yourself like, okay, I've got these 30 books to read right now. I'm not buying any more books till I'm done reading those. Anything like
1: that? I think something that's been very helpful is having a list. And in my course, I... Gave everyone an Excel sheet to use to keep track of the books they want to read and the ones they've read. It's also, it's very, even though there's no inherent value in it, it's fun to keep like, okay, I've read X number of books this year. These are the ones I've read. There's a sense of accomplishment to it. But as far as keeping track, what I do now is I use Trello and I have a board called Insider Learning. um, And an insider, like obviously my company's Insider School and, you know, all about discovering insider secrets and all that. but And then I just have the categories of life that I want to read in, including a miscellaneous category. And then I just have all of the books that I want to read or that I've heard of or that sound interesting in there. And then as soon as I read it, I'll drag it um, from that column to the done column. And by the way, just to give credit where credit is due, uh, I believe, I wish I can get it to you later. I don't know I think it's bcurrent.com, or I don't know what her website is, but uh, Sophie, um, who runs that company and does consulting, um, did a session with her. And she's the one that helped me set up my board and helped me get really organized with uh, with using Trello to do that.
0: That's awesome. I mean, that I use Trello and I was like, I could totally do that. That makes sense. Um, I love it. So last question around reading is how do you retain information? If you're reading a book a day, I did I did the experiment of a book a day and I did it for a month. And I learned a lot and I feel like I forgot a lot. I, I It was definitely beneficial. Um, I had to block off about six hours a day to do it. Um, I would love your tips on retention. Because I I do take notes. Um, I usually either I highlight and I'll write some stuff. Um, I like the Tim Ferriss method, writing on the inside book cover because then I can go find stuff. Um, But how do you retain information? What is your method
1: for that? Yeah. I think one thing first to say is the number of books to read is, right? We we only want to read to the point that it feels useful. So I don't want to read even if i could 10 books a day because then it's past the point that it's useful mm-hmm. and you know that might say the same thing about one book a week uh one book a day or two books a week or three whatever it is but as far as retaining i think the most important concept is the idea called desirable difficulties and what that means is When something goes in really easily, it also leaves you very easily. And we have to make the learning hard or more difficult for it to stick, even if it's an easy to understand book. We have to take the author's words and convert it into our own words. We have to pause and write in the margin what we just learned. We finish a chapter, you stop and you say, okay, what did I just learn? You test yourself the next day after you read the book, and you say, "Wait, what did I really learn from that book? Let me let me spend a minute or two saying it out loud while I'm driving to see how much I remember, and then going to correct whatever I forgot." So I think that concept of desirable difficulties is the most important concept when it comes to reading. And then um, Benedict Carey says in his book How We learned that recitation is greater than restudy, and what that means is reciting something, preferably out loud, is better than reviewing it. So it's better to pause and say it out loud in your own words and test yourself on it, and then go back and correct whatever you missed, then to go back a second time and reread it or reread what you underlined or whatever the case is.
0: I'm going to start talking to myself more. because (laughs) uh, Thank you very much. (laughs) That's a joke, but it's true. I I actually like that because I find that usually when I'm reading stuff, whatever I'm reading, and I read all the time, probably not quite as much as you, but when I read usually in the next two to three days, some of that will come out in conversation somewhere. I'm like, Oh, I totally picked that up mm-hmm. and I'll expound on it. Right. So that, I actually really like that. I'm going to start talking when I'm
1: reading. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to to myself. I like it. Um, you know, when I was in, when I was in college, I am mean, where I randomly talking about college more than, than I have in a long time. But, um, I just thought of it is I was, I was a very good student, obviously using the methods that, you know, that we talked about. And one of the things that I did before every test, if it was a test that you had to memorize things, really understand things is I made a cheat sheet, you know, three pages, five pages, whatever of what I wanted to remember. But then the most important part of the studying was standing in my dorm room or wherever I was and pretending like there was there were people in there listening to me teach the concept and just talking to this imaginary crowd out loud. And I'd just be pacing the room and saying, okay, the first thing is this, and this ties to this other thing, and a fun fact about it is this. And and that's how I'd really just get things in there by the time I'd sit down to take the test. Wow, this is easy. I really, really understand this. That's
0: awesome. So, I mean, I teach people public speaking my business is getting people on stages and selling from stage and i tell people like nothing like besides selling from stage once you've practiced your speech 25 times your sales will go through the roof even if you're doing direct sales calls because you're so much more articulate and you know how to talk about what you're doing better mm. um it's and you just proved it that's awesome mm. i love it so i want to i want to kind of wrap things up you read a lot. Give us your top couple books. I'll let you put the number on two, five top couple books for this year. So far right now we are in the beginning of August. So I don't know how many books have you read this year? Do you know the count? I don't know the count. (laughs) That's okay. So out of what you've read, what are, what are the ones that stick out to you that you think would either be beneficial to somebody or things that you've really enjoyed?
1: Hmm. Honestly, it's hard to remember exactly what the list is of what I read this year versus last year, but I think what would be helpful is maybe some of the books that really stand out to me in terms of the impact they've had on me. The the first, which had maybe the biggest impact, because I feel like it set the course of what's most important in my life, is The Power of Now. And... It's not, I mean, it's not one of those books that you want to read quickly and get, because I can tell you everything it says in the book right now, live in the present moment, that's it. But that's not the point. The point is really ingraining. And for me, I was 17 and I had the, at the time there was, I don't even know if Audible existed. I had the CDs, it was a seven CD box set. And I would just switch from one to seven again and again and again. I probably listened to it maybe 10 times. And just that concept and that idea of living in the present moment, in the futility of past and future, and how you are not your mind, and so forth, is really um, was really illuminating, and, and I feel like set the path for what's most important for me in my life, which is this idea of presence. Mm-hmm. And in one of my courses, I made a course uh, where I took the twenty seven most life changing lessons from all of the books that I've read. And before I went into the 27 lessons, I shared an insight that I had about a life pyramid that I feel like if you, you know, get this pyramid down, life is a lot better. And the base of that pyramid of the four things was presence. Because when you have presence, you're more authentic and you're making better choices about everything and you're not being run by the automatic programming in your brain. In a similar book that I did read in the last year, because that one I read you know, many years ago, um, is The Untethered Soul. And that one is a similar book in terms of what it talks about. Of course, there's things that are in the untethered soul that aren't in power of now, like when it talks about living with an open heart or you know, whatever whatever the not overlap is. But I feel like those are two books that go really, really well together. And then his other book that I read after the Untethered Soul called The Surrender Experiment, which is kind of his story of surrendering to the flow of life rather than resisting it was also a very beautiful and powerful book. Another book that was foundational for me was Thinking Grow Rich and he, Napoleon Hill wrote that book in 1937. What was really interesting is in 2011 there was another Napoleon Hill book published that was written in 1938 and was just sitting in a vault for all of those years called Outwitting the Devil. And the reason it wasn't published is because Napoleon Hill's wife and then later the president of the Napoleon Hill Foundation after the wife passed away thought it was too controversial to publish. But that's a very powerful book as well, Outwitting the Devil. And um, another book that I I read maybe a month ago or a few weeks ago that I really enjoyed um, is called Designing the Mind. And the whole idea of that book is that you can only be as happy as your mental programming, and thinking of your brain like a collection, or like a computer with a collection of algorithms. Something happens and you feel a ping of emotion. We don't question what's going on, but in reality, there's some chain of events that's happening. Okay, this happened. I made this interpretation about the event. Then I took this action, and then I felt this You know, it's like so becoming aware of those things. Um, is really powerful. So that's another book that I really enjoyed that I read uh, two or three weeks ago. So those are some that come to mind.
0: Awesome. Those are I didn't know what you were going to throw out there. But those are great recommendations. I have read the power of now I have not read the other two. Um, but designing the mind is right up my alley. Um, I, I love NLP and like that form of psychology, right? Um, thinking about what makes us tick. There's a book called, um, what we say when we talk to ourselves?
1: Yeah, it's Brad Shalm's letter or something.
0: Yeah, that yeah. like that's what it uh, immediately. I was like, it sounds like it's in that same vein. And that book, that book had a lot. I, when I read that and I started tracking my thoughts during the day, I was like, oh my goodness, like no wonder. Like, I mean, I'm a pretty happy person. I was happy back then too, but I was like, no wonder. Like, I beat myself up sometimes. Like, this is like the pattern. Um, really, really good books. Brandon, tell us a little bit about your business. Where people can find you? Like, I, this has been a really wide-ranging episode. We yeah, have covered see, yeah. a lot of topics here, but tell us about what your core business is, um, and w- like, where people can find you. Because I'm pretty fascinated, I think most of the listeners will be too.
1: My business is Insiderschool.com, and the idea behind it is that anybody who's excelled at anything beyond mediocrity knew things we never learned in school, they were insiders. So for me, it's all about uncovering those insider secrets from books and making them super short, entertaining and actionable. And the core of, I have like 25 online courses and a lot of things that aren't even on the website. Like usually I'll just, you know, occasionally make them available on my email list or they're on other course platforms or whatever. The core of what I do now is a membership, it's called the Insider Membership, and we cover 52 books a year in less than five minutes a day. And what that means, because well, just a quick, how I had the idea is I'm like, I could share a three hour course with somebody and they'll get really inspired for three hours and maybe make some changes. And a small percentage of those people will stick with those changes. You know, and uh, I mean, that's still a very large number because I get emails all the time like, wow, I just read a hundred books this year or I'm way more productive now thanks to your course or I did better in school or I'm more persuasive or whatever it is. So my thinking was what if there was something where it was a drop in the bucket you added every single day instead of trying to hit a home run out of the park one day, but then not doing anything for the next month or two. And what it is, is it's a new video delivered by 6 a.m. your local time. Every video is five minutes or less. And every book that we cover, we cover one book a week, and every book that we cover is five five five-minute videos. And the first four videos are the four biggest lessons from the book, one lesson per video. And the last one is a recap of what we covered. And then every video comes with an audio version, a text version, a one-page cheat sheet to remember what you learned, and most weeks, I also send out on Saturdays a one pager, which is on one page all of the key concepts to remember. So if you're gonna remember nothing else from the book, what's one page worth of stuff that are worth remembering? And what I do personally is I use these same one pagers that I share with all the members and I put them all in the binder. And every morning I'll read one of them as a way to further lock in the key concepts from the book. So speaking of designing the mind, I actually, do have a one pager for that. So uh, happy to share that with you. And if you want to pass it on to your audience, I'm happy to do that as well. But anyway, my, my uh, website is insiderschool.com. And uh, I think a great place for anybody to start. Um, of course, they can get a request and invitation to the membership at insiderschool.com. But what I recommend for everybody is just get on the free email community where I share out, uh, I send an email, it's like a two minute email, taken from thousands of pages of books, just a quick nugget that you can apply in your life that day. And they can sign up at insiderschool.com slash podcast.
0: Awesome. Brandon, that was uh, like, I'm, I love it. Um, I did. So I did like some of the other services like that were just written. Um, I love the idea of it. And I mean, who doesn't need more knowledge and more things that they can use to better their life. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, this has been a great episode. We might have to have you back for a part two somewhere down I would the love road. That. I would love that. Awesome. Is there anything that you feel like you need to share before we wrap this up? You feel good?
1: I feel good. And I just want to say, thank you. It's been, uh, awesome connecting with you and I really enjoyed this. So I'm excited to, to share this with the listeners.
0: No problem. It has been my pleasure. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.